Hello and welcome to Rookie Movie Reviews. I am Jenny. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, what, did we... <laughs> what did we watch today? We watched The Silence of the Lambs. This is a 1991 flick directed by Jonathan Demme, starring uh, Jodie Foster and... Anthony Hopkins. And, thank you. Yes, Anthony of course. Hopkins. What'd you think of it? No, no, no. What did you think of it? Oh, well, you know, if I was put on the spot, I'd say it might be one of the top 100 movies of all time. It's a good one. It's a very Yo. good movie. We were looking up some fun facts before the recording, and this is one of the first movies to be the winner of Best Picture at the Golden Globes while being considered a horror film. Yes. And this one swept the Golden It It got Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Picture, Best Director, and best screenplay, I think? Uh, adaptation. Adaptation, thank you. Yes, so uh, people like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they should because this, it's such a captivating movie. We stopped it like five times for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But, okay, that is the beauty of modern technology. Yeah, it's Netflix, I, dude. I love so much being able to pause stuff. Even though I will very regularly just, like, get up in the middle of something we're watching and yeah. walk off. <laughs> I don't like stopping stuff when I can help it. I don't know. I, if I'm watching something alone, I don't mind it. Uh, I guess if I was watching this with my parents, I probably would have just, like, Ooh, through the whole thing or gotten up and be like what did i miss yeah <laughs> or friends um i have more friends than just my parents <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's definitely a context thing and this is always going to be stopped because we're, we're trying to pay attention here and form some opinions on these yeah, movies it's good so... to take a minute to digest something yeah and don't miss anything. There's no what did I miss when we're watching these. No. We, we, that, we see every minute. We have to take notes. Yeah. We take notes. It's mostly about plot. But I also write down jokes when yeah. I think of them. A little comedian. So. Should we hop into this piece? Yeah. Is that what you're going to do with the sew? Well. I didn't. I was just excited. Uh, maybe I was going to be a needle pulling thread. Law. <laughs> a note to follow sew. I know you didn't write that one down. Did not. That That's a new joke. Yeah. I'm we're doing improv. Ooh, yes I am. <laughs> Bad. Okay, so this <laughs> the opening scene is Jodie Foster training, running through a forest, wearing an FBI sweater, and she is drenched in sweat. So we know this girl works hard. And it's just her running through the fog alone. She is a lone wolf. There's a lot of characterization in like the first minute of this movie, which is probably why it won so many awards. Mm -hmm. But it's her running through and she's in the FBI and she's a trainee. And she gets called to Jack Crawford's office by a more senior official. And in Jack Crawford's office, he it's Crawford, right? Yeah. The, okay. He's the head of the behavioral sciences unit. Yes. So basically, um, the department that was formed in the Mindhunter TV show is now run by Jack Crawford. <laughs> and Jodie Foster really wants to be a part of it. Yes. Um, I don't anymore, I think. But when I was younger, I used to really conflate Jodie Foster and Sigourney Weaver. And I think it's just because it's these two badass women. I do that with the 
with uh, Sigourney Weaver and the woman from Winona Ryder. I think in our Aliens what? episode, I mistook the two of them many times. But, I'm, hey, badass women. All I know Winona Ryder from is Stranger Things. And she... We watched Heathers together. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I don't We've recall. seen Beetlejuice. Uh, you haven't seen Beetlejuice for a very long time. Oh my you know god! I mean? You want to watch Beetlejuice? Yeah, sure. I think the last time I saw it was, you know, before all of this pandemic shit, and we were at a bar, and it was playing on the TV. Oh I yeah, at I O. Yeah, I love so. Beetlejuice. So campy. Okay. Anyway. Oh, I do want to lean into your point about characterization oh, at the yeah. very beginning here. Uh, we see Jodie Foster, and I will say. My favorite part of this movie is it develops its themes so well. You know, it's a thrilling story about murder and murderers, but it's also a story about Jodie Foster, who is a woman trying to find a career in a man's field. Yeah. And this (laughs) opening is literally her climbing up a hill. And fighting through this course. You, you know, know, I think she literally broke a glass ceiling at the end of her course, too. Oh, yeah? Is that No, the, that's a such, joke. <laughs> it's just the final obstacle. They always get scarred up and they're like, I hate that obstacle. <laughs> but, yeah, so this opening is just a, a real, I'd say it's subtle. You know, when you watch oh, it, yeah. you watch it the first time and you think, oh, okay, she's an FBI, she's trading. And then at the end of the movie, you're like, oh... She was, that is literally an uphill battle because she's side-eyed and stared down so much yeah. in this movie. But and Jody, I, I wonder if Jodie Foster truly is a tiny woman or if they just hired a lot of big men because yeah. she looks so petite. On her way to Crawford's office yeah, when she when gets she on goes the, elevator, in the elevator. That, yeah, that was a very effective shot at just showing how... Uh, ostracized not ostracized but like because she outsider. Cindy. yeah she, she did <laughs> she but it's clear the director makes clear that the people around her do not believe in her she's a lone wolf but she's not lonely yeah she, she's, she's a fighter truly she's a survivor she's not going to give up she's a survivor that is a good song yeah <laughs> there was one little post that I can't really figure out, so I'm going to ask you, before we even get through the whole plot, there's this little thing at, in the very intro where there's a, a tree, and it's got signs attached to it. Oh, love, pain? Yeah, it says, hurt, agony, pain, love it. Yeah. And then underneath those signs is a worn down, rusted panel that says, pride. Mm-hmm. So, I think on its face, it's like, this job that she wants or this movie or whatever it's talking about focuses on hurt and agony and pain and you better learn to love it because that's what this world is going to be yeah but why is pride pride is still negative you know why well, is it why is it rusted out it must have been know. intentional uh, i don't know if i'm ready to think that deeply okay pride well I guess it depends how you take pride. Um, if you, if you're humble in your life, you will succeed in a more popular way than someone prideful would. So she, 
she has respect, maybe not pride. Because hmm. she treats Hannibal Lecter like a human being. And then yeah. she's still like, well, I gotta hunt you down. Cool. So, maybe that's what the meaning is. I guess, I don't really know. It's a good take. <laughs> Anyhow, um, she gets called up to Crawford. Crawford says, we're sending you to Hannibal Lecter. There's a murderer on the loose uh, named Buffalo Bill. And the subtext of this trip is that maybe Lecter will give some insight into Buffalo Bill. And then Starling jumps at the opportunity, Mm -hmm. travels to Memphis, I believe. No, that's later. Yeah, Memphis Memphis. is later. Baltimore. So, yeah, thank you, Baltimore. Baltimore. And that's where uh, Lecter is housed. Yes. Yes. Christine um, lives there. Oh, cool. Sorry. (laughs) No, she doesn't. She lives in Tennessee. She moved. Yeah, she moved to Memphis. Oh, shit. Wow. Maybe she just really likes Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> she, she hates horror movies. So, anyway, this is the... That's my friend. That's the friend who's not my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I can write it down. This is irrefutable proof. <laughs> so they get to this hospital. Clarice Starling gets to the hospital. We meet Chilton, who wants to take her on a date. Yeah. And she says no. Also, this man's outfits do not match. No, they're clash. Not to say he has horrible taste, because Jodie Foster would be quite the catch. <laughs> yes. Um, again, this is just hammering in the... the. It's very important throughout the movie that she is a woman, and the movie is about yeah. her being challenged at She's a sex time. object. Or, uh-huh. Well, everyone treats her as a sex object, but we, the audience, see her as this powerful, intelligent FBI agent. Yes. And Chilton is the scummiest guy. Chilton is the scummiest guy. I did have a moment um, when she is wearing that suit going to Hannibal. I did have like a, oh my god, Jodie Foster is so pretty moment. So. Must have directed it specifically for that. I sexualized her as well. Jodie Foster, I'm sorry. If you want (laughs) to come on this podcast. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome to join. Uh, so she gets let through. One thing I wrote down was, so Chilton wanted to take her on a date, and she said no, and then he was just a dick. And it was super frustrating, A, because his demeanor changes as soon as he knows that she doesn't want to have sex with him, uh, which I think is fair to say was his end goal the whole time with asking her on a date and all that. Like, well. just you know, oh, you want to, it's much better with a guide. I think the way they characterize children throughout the movie, yeah. he, he's a bit of a shithead. It's not, he's no, not looking don't. to just hang out and find a new love, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the contrast between Chilton, I forgot the man who Barney? likes her. Barney. So the contrast between those two, we see Chilton is running through his protocol with help, uh, with uh, Hannibal. Yes. Which are literally life or death. And he's just annoyed to be there. And he's sprinting through these protocols. Don't touch a glass. Don't take anything it gives you. Like, it's so unimportant. But it's very critical to her survival. And then we meet Barney, who is actually, you know, he's he's a man. But he's the first character in the movie that I, as a viewer, didn't get the sense of he's actively trying to get with uh, Sigourney. Yeah. I almost said it. Sigourney. He's actually he's trying the, to get with Jodie Foster. Uh, yeah, he's like the only not a creep guy. Mm-hmm. 
I think this movie establishes a lot of staring shots. Yeah, they the spike the camera. Right? Yes, a lot of camera spiking. And I don't know what that's supposed to signify. Maybe looking directly at the camera is trying to peer into our soul as we peer into theirs and we're judging them and maybe it's not righteous. <laughs> it's a lot of bullshit. But anyway, Barney, I agree, is the most on the level man. I have a... Um... This might be one of the only movies that makes the flip. Because my feelings during those camera stare downs were like the the person spiking the camera. It's such an unnatural thing to happen in a movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like rule number one, don't look directly into the lens. And it happens so many times in this movie. And every single time, because we are Clary Starling in that moment, every time I felt you know, uh, undressed or scrutinized in a way that, like, this might be a bit dramatic to say, but I'm a, I'm a very big white dude who, you know, like, I don't deal with a lot of troubles in my <laughs> life. But Clary Starling is uh, a woman, and she is in a male-dominated field, and in this movie, people are undressing her and... Um, harassing her, asking her out on dates in professional contexts, all of this inappropriate shit, which I don't deal with, but I feel like the director really did a good job of saying, like, they they chose this method of spiking, which is really effective at saying, hey, um, this is going to make you feel uncomfortable in the way that Clarice feels uncomfortable, and, and it was really effective in my opinion. So Anyhow, uh, we we get to the end of the hallway, She's approaching the end of the hallway, which is Hannibal's cell. And I thought the shot of, like, slowly walking up to this chair, it was such an effective object. Yeah, I was so scared. The chair at the end of the hall, you know? It's like, Jesus. I've never felt so intense about a chair. But she gets there and talks with Hannibal. This scene, when she's walking down and the prisoners catcall her, made me... (laughs) It's not not appropriate, but it made me think of the Arrested Development... (laughs) The oh, plot where... <laughs> when she wears a shirt that says slut. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm losing so much money. I'm paying these guys off to not catcall you. <laughs> Lecter is not paying anybody off. No. <laughs> Migs, uh, the, I think this is the third time I've seen this movie. I've never looked at it with a deeper lens. It's always been like, ooh, Silence the Lens, good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time I've watched it, the the um dubbing of Miggs's lines over the way he speaks doesn't match up. Oh really? I didn't know. Yeah, this. and it has to be intentional. Maybe because maybe it's not. Like, maybe it's just shittily done. Um, <laughs> the rest of this movie is so amazingly done. But yeah, he says, "I can smell your cunt." She gets jeered, and then she gets her interview with Hannibal, and this guy is insane. We know. Some of the things we learned about him before that we missed out and I think is super important is that when he ate the face of that nurse, his pulse never went above 85. And hot diggity dang. Um, So he's a psychopath, true and blue. Don't get near the glass. Don't uh, let him pass you anything. Don't linger at the food tray. And when she gets up there, she's pretty good about it. But he asks, what did Mig say to you? She tells him. And then he sniffs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
And he says, you use Evian's skin cream. And you wear French perfume. But not today. <laughs> Which is... hyper-perceptive. All of it, yeah. And it's funny because he's so invested in skin and the body himself being a cannibal. Uh, it's already been established at this point that Hannibal is a cannibal. And everybody <laughs> who knows about movies knows that Hannibal is a cannibal. Yeah. I haven't seen Red Dragon. Me neither. There's yeah. actually, uh, I just saw it on the Wikipedia page. It goes Hannibal and then Hannibal 2. Oh. And then Red Dragon with Edward Norton as a prequel. And then there was a movie released in 2007, uh, which is a sequel to Red Dragon, but still a prequel to Hannibal. That's insane. And then there's the TV show that we have started getting into, and I am, I am loving that. Yeah, two episodes in. It's if you like crime procedural bullshit like yes. CSI, uh, Criminal Minds. If you like crime procedurals and you with uh, Penn Bagley, you're gonna love Hannibal. What what has um weird? You does. You it has have... weird dream sequences. Oh really? Yeah. I watched most of season one. I don't remember that. He, like, fantasizes... Oh, he fantasizes about doing shit. Yeah. But, okay, that's fair. But for, like, frame of context, it's not just Hannibal thinking about, like, killing someone in that show. It's a man hallucinating a deer walking through his apartment... And it's got you know oh, glowing yeah. eyes. Maybe and like shit. if you like true True Detective. True Detective yeah, it's well. like True Detective season one. There's a lot of weird supernatural shit to it, but it's all in the mind of these troubled characters. Yeah, it's a really Yeah. I'm living for it. Okay. Anyhow, let's so <laughs> She was told he might not even talk to her, and then they had a pretty good conversation. Because she is such a good Detective, you know, she knows how to challenge. Or is it because she's some pretty little trinket? I think it's a combo. I think it's that's fair. I feel like, um, well, here's the thing I will say that it is because specifically because she's a good detective, because Hannibal calls out immediately, Oh, Crawford sent a sexy little student to try and get me nervous or whatever. or trip me up so he's on top of the sex appeal angle from the beginning but Clarice challenges him at multiple points and this is from later in the plot but when she comes back a second time and he says something uh about her vagina or fucking her yeah uh, but she says that sounds like something Migs would say oh yeah so she gets a lot of barbs in that I think really get to Hannibal and she also makes a lot of statements during this initial uh, interview and later interviews that show he's he cares for her and he's invested in her, potentially because she's a young woman. But also, she she's established to, like, she doesn't fuck around. She can, she can debate and call him out. Yes. Yeah. It, she gets power as much as he has power, which is great. However, unfortunately, when she's leaving, Meg's... Uh, I I bit my wrist. So I could die. Yes. Look at the blood. And he throws semen at her. Oh, gross. So gross. And then she gets called back by Hannibal, the cannibal. And he tells her, oh, that was deplorable. And then he gives her a clue about Miss Moffat. M-O-F-E-T. And she, uh, she takes the clue and runs out. And then she cries at her car. Yeah. And, oh, God, that was so... 
that like really struck me because during their conversation, Hannibal called out how she was not one generation away from uh, Southern white trash. And then she goes to her car and thinks of her childhood, thinks of her dad and like where she came from. And his barb was so on the money that it moves her to tears, you know? Yeah. And, like, it, it's just really effective. That's why she was told to not give any personal info. You don't want him inside your head. He knows exactly what buttons to push. And also, I want to stress, like, when Miggs throws his semen and Hannibal calls her back, he's not just saying, like, hey, come on back here. I got something to tell you. I feel bad about that. He's, like, screaming at her. Yeah. And she's got semen on her face. All the other prisoners are hooting and hollering and losing their shit. And Hannibal is screaming. Like, it freaked me out. This is a really intense ending to the scene. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, Anthony Hopkins is a great actor. It's a great scene when they're talking. But fuck. Like, at the end, it she might just be crying. Like, if we hadn't seen the flashback, it might just be because... She's a student and she's in the shit now. Yeah. Like, this is really intense stuff, you know? So, it freaked me out. And if I had fucking semen on my face and <laughs> a cannibal was screaming at me and everyone was losing their shit, I might have a breakdown, you know? Like, that's intense stuff. So, <laughs> she cries in her car. Uh, that, that wasn't why I left. I laughed because I saw that I wrote down, stay sexy, don't get murdered. <laughs> there before we get to that scene yeah yeah there's a lot more to uncover there's one there's a one scene in the garage scene yes storage, very important storage space. also that Migs died yes fuck you Migs okay yes. so miss moffat uh she finds out it's um some storage facility and she Gets an old man to help her. Some Scrooge McDuck looking motherfucker. Yeah, he's a cranky guy. He's got an able-bodied driver. He's like, no. He he's... detests physical labor. Yeah, fucker. Like, this guy's obviously a criminal. He's like, my client's prize privacy. You yeah, know? he... Ugh. Something. He's got... No, no good man wears a top hat. In the 20th century. Nor the 21st. giant wispy eyebrows and a coat. <laughs> looks Victorian. He does. So that's fun character design because you don't like this guy. Even though he does help her with the door or tries to. And this is another instance of seeing her be resourceful. Because the door of the storage of Miss Moffat's storage facility is stuck. And she can't get it. The driver, who's big, detests physical labor, and she's like, fine, whatever. And she gets the jack from her car, and she uses physics to get that door open. Not to mention the finding of this storage garage was she figured out that the guy, that Hannibal was doing a riddle. And it was, I forget the exact clues he left, but, oh, he said, um, he said something that was too on the nose, like, just you think or something like that. And Clarice was like, oh, this is too simple for Hannibal. So she found a storage facility of like just yourself or by yourself. Yes. And then found a unit owned by a Moffat. And like, I mean, this is what's so thrilling about the movie is to see some... It's like a Sherlock Holmes novel. Yeah. And the character is so... Like she had no... She's a student and she had no resources in finding the storage facility. She just figured it out. And she seemingly had no... psychiatric assistance after this prison incident. Yeah, it's the 90s. Who cares? She just set off on her own 
No support system, and she does all of this shit. Anyhow, she's in the storage facility. So she's in the storage facility. She cuts her thigh. She finds this head in a jar, and it's a man wearing makeup. Just after this is when... I guess that's kind of an abrupt end to the garage scene, but she literally gets her way into the storage, finds a decapitated head. We cut to Buffalo Bill yeah. stalking a victim, right? Which, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so Buffalo Bill... He's watching, and a girl comes up, and she's, you know, thick. She's uh, singing along. American girl. American girl. Oh, yeah. American girl. Are we going to edit that out? Who knows? Okay, so she is singing along to the radio, and she's pulling up, and she talks to her cat when in her... Parking lot, which, ah, oh, god damn it, I love Pugsley so much. <laughs> I would talk to him if I saw him from the window of our parking lot, mm -hmm. but he doesn't hang out in the kitchen. And so she says, hey, little cheaper, I'll be up in a second. And then she sees a man struggling in a cast. And this is the same tactic Ted Bundy used, actually. He would put his arm in a cast to seem harmless, I guess. And then he would lure women. And that's exactly what Buffalo Bill does. He has a couch and he can't get it into the van. This is where I wrote down, stay sexy, don't get murdered. So don't help out anyone after 9 p.m. Nobody mm -hmm. gets your help. Don't get, get in the van because he asks her to hop in the back. Yeah, and she hesitates, which yeah. is her natural instinct. She's got a gut feeling it's wrong. Not to say this, you know, shithead lady gets kidnapped. It's well, it's not her fault she got kidnapped. Yeah, but also, also this is fictional. Do everything opposite. <laughs> Ignore the guy. You know, he can get his couch tomorrow. Yeah, right. Hire a, a service. So she stays sexy and doesn't get murdered, but she does get beat up and kidnapped. Yes, it's a very harrowing scene. It's oh, it felt like sickening the fear of what was happening because you knew. This guy was stalking her with night vision goggles. You know, it's such a wrong situation. And it's it's hor horrifying. This is like a horror movie. We talked about this last time where, hey, I really like The Conjuring. I don't like Last House on the Left. You know? Yeah. There's ghosts and then there's real world terror. <laughs> and this movie does such a great job of walking along real world terror. But with enough fantastic... Like, a hyper-genius cannibal and, and Buffalo Bill having a labyrinthine basement complex. It's all, it's got enough of a unnatural bizarreness to it that I can disconnect and be like, oh, yeah, she was kidnapped and it's super terrifying that people actually get kidnapped in reality. But, you know, it's still movie intense, not horrible. Yeah. Life is pain intense, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like that point a lot, I think. So back to West Virginia. We're trying to get Buffalo Bill profile from Hannibal Lecter because he's done it again. And uh, this is the quid pro quo scene, I think. Mm -hmm. His drawings were taken because he, <laughs> he whispered terrible things to Miggs and then Miggs swallowed his own tongue. Mm -hmm. and committed suicide. But yeah, so Starling gives him a fake little... Uh, offer of being on a beach. And actually, I forget the exact details, but she had her own little anagram joke in here. Like, there was something about arsenic or poison about this island. Yeah. And I think this is another point showing, yeah, 
she's um, viewed as an object and her whole story is about being uh, um, just objectified in this horrible way. But she is a, a fucking gangster and she gets one over on Hannibal Yeah, Lecter. fuck you, Hannibal. And this is when she says, oh, that sounds like something Miggs would say. And Lecter recovers by saying, mm, not anymore. But you can tell that it, it got him. Yes. You know, he tried to be crude and uh, Starling called him out. So pretty good stuff. They give a fake offer and after this we go to a, a funeral home. It's, yeah, it's a funeral home and all the local cops are there and uh, they're they're being good old boys and Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> uh, Jodie Foster clears them all out being like, okay, thank you very much. We appreciate it. At, uh, not until after she has a bazaar and sees her father in the coffin and, uh, you know, it's a telling moment for where she's at mentally. But yes, then we go to the autopsy room she clears all the good old boys out. We again get a series of camera spikes and uh, bizarre camera work that makes us feel very on the spot. Yes. And we got the autopsy scene. Yeah, so we see her working directly with Jack Crawford and they put the requisite menthol on under their nose. And they find, they well, they declare several lesions on this woman and they know that everything was post-mortem, yada yada. The most important thing is this bug hanging out in her throat. It's a little cocoon thing, which Jodie Foster uh, leads the investigation on what the heck is this bug, and we see her taken to some college, and she comes across two men playing chess with bugs. She's uh, talking to them, and the guy asks, oh, is this a Buffalo Bill case? Cool. She can't say, and the other guy hits on her, and she seems kind of receptive to it. Yeah, because you asked at the time, why is she cool with it now? And why is it such a bad thing? Because I feel like every other moment is contextualized as Jodie Foster is not cool with this advance. And this time she is. So, I mean, that's good. It's all contextualized from uh, her point of view as far as, you know, the unwanted advances are concerned. But I don't know. Is it because he's cross-eyed and... Not in a position of power, like the power dynamic is flipped. Yeah, or because he's not control. fucking 40. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or he's generally kind and helpful rather yeah. than trying to take advantage or something. I'd, like he seems harmless. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the answer is, but uh, it's definitely a flip in what we've seen so far. So we find out it's a death's head moth, and they're only from Asia. So whoever had the moth must have taken great care of it someone loved that moth and we cut back uh jody foster is trying to yet again interview hannibal lecter to presumably ask him more questions and this is when i truly noticed how disgustingly unmatched the outfits were of um what's his name what's the doctor's name uh chilton chilton thank you uh dr chilton's terrible outfits um just to get us to this point uh there's a couple things I want to call out. A, immediately after the Death's Head Moth scene, we see Buffalo Bill's lair for the first time. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a great reveal of the lair. He's fucked up. He's got this woman in his well. Uh, B, we see the kidnapped woman's parents pleading with Buffalo Bill to get the lady back. Uh, C, Hannibal is transferred to Memphis because... Um, 
Chilton says, hey, Jodie Foster offered you a lie of a deal. The mother of the kidnapped daughter is very pissed. And then we see Hannibal Lecter basically, I forget what he says, but it's some disgusting shit that horrifies. Did you breastfeed your daughter? Oh, yeah. Uh, you have uh, people who are amputated, have phantom limbs. Where where are you going to be itching when she's gone? Yeah. You know, because breastfed, toughened nipples, very disgusting. And then he gives the fake name of Louis Friend. Yes. And he's in his iconic, you know, he's on a dolly and he's got his mask and straight jacket. He will eat your face. Iconic shot. And then he is put in the Tennessee State House. And we, we see um, he's locked up and... Clarice approaches him to ask some more questions. So just some plot beats that I feel are important for the overall uh, story. No, great plot beats. I'd like to also call out that we made uh, my dad, like we called my dad in the middle of this. There's a great Buffalo Bill. (laughs) Does a good impersonation. Buffalo, you're the fucking bastard. Yes. So good. So good. Spot on. Do you mind if I kind of take us through a bit of a power summary here because no. I'm fucking dying from heat. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. So, Clarice Starling arrives in Tennessee and asks Hannibal Lecter for information about Buffalo Bill to save this young woman. I don't want to breeze by this scene too quickly because it is critical. This is when Hannibal Lecter talks to her about the silence of the lambs. Yes. The screaming lambs for slaughter. It's a, it's an amazing scene. I just want to call out like the plot relevance and the acting and the intensity is fantastic. We see her leave. Um, Chilton gets some bum evidence based off of Lecter's misguided uh, uh, joke tips, essentially. Lewis friend. Yeah. Also, this is where we find out she figured out it was iron sulfide fool's gold. Yeah. So she's smarter. She's the smartest. She's smarter than Crawford, and no one gives her credit because she's a woman. Yes. Um, She departs, but we see the escape scene of Lecter, which is awesome. So he has a a little lockpick, he kills two cops, and then he ultimately pretends to be a dead cop. And comes to life in the yeah. ambulance and escapes. He's wearing the other one's face. Oh God! Yeah, just oh, just man. the the cleverness of um, the escape, and I mean, it does a great job of showing how smart and effective Lecter is at what he does. I think another sorry about all that image or sorry about all that paper flipping. I think another important thing is that the uh, glass scene before he escapes, he explains to Jodie Foster that this man covets. And then after all of this, she's talking to Cindy and they're trying to work it out. And she mm. quotes Hannibal to say he covets because she's yes. trying to figure it out. Yes. So good. You. And then she interviews the, the dad of the first victim. And this is when she comes across all of the clothes and she figures out James Gunn, other name, Jack something. Yeah, Jack Jack something, James Gunn. Jack something would be a good lead. So she goes to the house of, well... Spoiler alert. She's calling the FBI itself and being like, no, I know. And they're like, yeah, we know. Bitch, child, bitch, child. We're on our (laughs) fucking way. And they show up to an empty goddamn house. And I like how on the plane, 
they pull a picture of the guy they're going to get. Yeah. It's the wrong guy. Because we know at this point who Buffalo Bill is. He's And it's just a subtle way of saying, like, they're on the exact wrong path. So she arrives at this guy's house, learns that it is the killer because of death's head moths flying around. Yeah. The set design, it's disgusting. Like, his kitchen... Full of Chinese takeout. Chinese takeout. God, wouldn't papers. it be horrible if we got Chinese takeout? Oh, it would be horrible. Let's not. <laughs> it's, but the, I mean, truly, like, I felt the same way about True Detective season one, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but when we see the killer in his house, yeah, like, it's so disgusting. Why are psychopaths so dirty? Yeah. Hannibal wasn't dirty. No, he was not. He was very proper. In any case, uh, we go into the basement and because we it's realize Ocker's down there too. It's Ocker's down there. Uh, Jodie Foster uh, realizes she's in the killer's house. She goes, follows him into the basement, and we see the well. the uh, The victim is down there, and, and she doesn't even have auto trader. She auto trader. Yeah, we <laughs> Joe Dirt like ruined this <laughs> sequence because <laughs> Joe Dirt and my dad. <laughs> Joe Dirt and your dad. Uh, have kind of killed the tension, but still, even with that, so good. Uh, the Buffalo Bill killer turns off all the lights. He's stalking her in the darkness with night vision, more eye symbolism. She's seen. Yes, she is hunted. Hundred percent. And then she, he's given away by the cock of the revolver. His cock. His cock. The patriarchy. That's, that's kind of. It's kind of reaching, but I also kind of wonder. (laughs) Because it's called cocking a pistol. And he cocks a pistol. I I get that it's silly. It's very English teachery. Yeah. I I mean, I'm just going to say, hey, I'm going to put my hat in that ring. Yeah, that's a good hat ring. He cocks the revolver. It's all about sexuality and uh, gendered power dynamics. Guns are very phallic. Yes. There was a scene earlier on, so just to finish the earlier thought, he cocks the pistol, Jodie Foster hears it, and caps him, and then saves the day. Uh, She graduates, and then she gets a call from Hannibal Lecter saying that he's having an old friend for dinner at her graduation party, right? So, um, And the old friend is Chilton. The old friend is Chilton. Hannibal Lecter's going to kill him. And he has a wig. He has a wig, a hat, a nice shirt. <laughs> he's on vacation. He's on va- he's on vacation. He's on he's island on time. He's on island time. <laughs> but um, real quick, just going back when Jodie Foster was first called into Crawford's office from the training course, uh, she went through this room where everyone was cleaning their guns. I mean, it was a mix of men and women, mm-hmm. but also my thought is, you know, their their weapons, their tools, they're sticking things up tubes to clean them, like. I think that everything that can be construed as phallic or related to sexuality in this movie should be. Yes. Like, that is definitely what the movie's about. And I think if we're talking about cocking pistols or cleaning weapons, like, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that is about sex and, you know, uh, gender and all of that. Yeah, I like that thought process. Do you have any opinions on these final scenes before we talk about our positives and negatives? No, I'm ready to hop in, and I'll I'll say it. This is a two-hour episode of Criminal Minds. Ooh, well said. Yeah, it's a it's a crime procedural. It's got all the twists and turns, and it's 
so well acted. It's so good. And it's so well written. It's so... It's probably one of the top 100 movies. Nothing feels convenient, honestly. Like, Well... What would you say? I would say it's convenient how clever Jodie Foster is in this movie. But that's the point. She is very clever. What I'll say is convenient is that she would never have been directed to the storage facility mm. if Miggs did not decide to throw semen in her face. Yeah, that's true. That made like her feel bad. So that's convenient. But I think the fact that Jodie Foster is clever is it's the point, you know? Yeah. Like, in this system, she would never be able to succeed without extraordinary circumstances because we're shown over and over that, you know, no one's going to help her mm-hmm. and no one is going to assume that she knows what she's doing. They're all going to assume she's out of her element and uh, that is not the case. And that's why uh, the whole movie is kind of about this this gender power thing, you know? Uh, it's definitely a gender power, inner power, outer power thing. I, this it's is a power one, movie. This is it's one of the movies on the list that movie. I just... I don't know what I'm going to rate it just yet. Ooh. But, like, people... You gotta see this movie. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's really good. I um, think... What would a negative be? A negative of this movie. Well, um, what were you going to say, I think, too? I think uh, only Parasite in my heart is a better execution of psychopathy. Yeah. Like, the the uh, Park family, I believe, is the mm-hmm. lower class family. No, that's the Kim family. The Parks are the rich oh. ones. Yeah, everyone in that family is just has a shared delusion to such an extent. And I stand by my ten out of ten on that. Yeah. What What do you dislike? Because I'm I'm really trying to think. I dislike how Buffalo Bill was pure villain, and his only compassion was the fact that he thought he was trans because of his torture as a child so i think this movie is frankly transphobic in a modern lens that's fair i I was actually thinking about that because i think it's kind of inherently transphobic for anyone from an external point of view to say you think that you're transsexual yeah you're mistaken because you're overly violent or the things you experienced would not necessarily make you a transsexual person uh so i think that is kind of at the root of transphobic. That's probably my biggest harp. I feel like um, there was some humanity injected in him because that scene where he's looking down the hole, he's holding his dog, mm-hmm. looking at his captive, and she's That's crying true. for her mother. She's like, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. You can see he's in tears and he's distraught and he's got this um, need to uh, like help her. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, that's bubbling true. up, and he he's... thinks, no, I need, I can't do that. So he's got something. It's not, it's not that he wants to be transsexual and isn't, which the movie says, yeah. but he's got something. Like I think, if it was rewritten, rewritten in a modern time, they could come up with a really compelling uh, mental um, situation that's not written off as he's probably gay, but doesn't want to reconcile with that. You know, like that age old trope of. Like in True Detective season two, where the one character is gay, but he doesn't want to be gay, so he's violent. Yeah. And that's like such an old trope now. That's pretty much Buffalo Bill. Yeah, um, I'd But agree. they try to put a bunch of labels on it, which end up being a bit more damaging. Also, he does get characterized as loving because it's explicitly called out someone loved this moth, but because of our 
I guess our society's views on bugs. It's yeah. like, eh. but Which, also that Bichon Frise. What's Bichon? Oh, his dog, dog had a haircut. It was very well groomed, and he <laughs> fucking lost his mind when it was in danger. Yeah. So I guess that's might be a good thing. Like, well, Hitler loved his dogs. He is, yeah. <laughs> so Buffalo Bill might be. A, you could say he's well characterized by. He loves. He he does love deeply, but he's, it's these bizarre external things. factors characterize him, which is fair. Its own issue. Okay. Yes. So he does. He is capable of love, but it's unnatural things that people think you should not love. That. Like yeah, like bug. you shouldn't care about a dog more than a human. Yeah, and you shouldn't love death's head moths more than the people you're killing. Yeah. Um, but, also, why did he put them in their throats? The chrysalis symbolizes transformation. Yeah, and th- that's problematic. The whole reason he put them in their throats, I mean, that's that's your voice, that's your speech. Like, that's how you express yourself. There's probably something there if you dig, and I'm sure there's been some essays written about it, but as Lecter says, and I think that the whole movie is written to be Lecter says the truth. Yeah. He's always right. He's a genius. I think this movie goes to great lengths to set him up as infallibly correct. And he can get got by Clarice. You know, he can be hurt that she lied. Like when she goes to Tennessee and he doesn't want to talk to her and he has his back to her. And she kind of reasons with him into interacting. And that's when he's like, people will think we're in love to be able to interact again. Yeah. Because he really was hurt. That she got one over on him, I think. Or lied to him. Well, yeah, both. And, um, I don't know. So, the fact that he says, oh, he thought he was a transsexual, but he wasn't. I feel like that's presented to be, he is correct in that instance. Not an instance of, oh, Hannibal Lecter is fallible. I think the director is just like, oh, he's got this guy pinned, you know? Yeah. Which is problematic, so. Yeah. But. Heteronormative views. How... Should we write this thing? Do you have more? Yeah, nine. Nine? I agree. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to say, like, how much are we docking it because of the dated views? And I, I think the 90s is more forgivable than the 60s. Because the 60s is so outlandishly sexist. The 90s, we're trying to figure shit out. We're still trying to figure shit out now. Like, I don't know any movies right now that prevent or that present trans people in such a weird fucking way like yeah. buffalo bill didn't have to be trans just want a woman's suit whatever fuck yeah and i think i want a woman's suit whoa this <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is a controversial thing to say but i would when i viewed the movie as someone who's not connected to the movement so i fully admit if i'm completely misguided here. oh me too i could be misguided i have trans friends but i don't know what the fuck's going on but i think he's not a murderous villain because he is a transsexual person people outside of him put these labels on him but i don't think he's evil because of that or whatever i think uh he's evil because he is a psychopathic murderer yeah also clarice points out that he's doing these compulsions because he's sick and he's perverted not because he's trans yeah and maybe that's her pulling one over on Hannibal again. But hey, nine. I, nine. I love this so movie. So good. It's really good. It makes me want to watch the sequels, even though I know the sequels won't be as good. Yeah. Anthony like, Hopkins. Yeah. Jodie Foster. I'd be down to rewatch it in just a couple weeks, oh, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's such a good one. And we're horror buffs, so it's kind of nice to see one come up on this list. 
Okay, so thank you for listening. If you listened, tweet at us at rmr underscore podcast. On Twitter, uh, email us at rookiemoviereview at gmail.com. Or you can go to our webpage, rookiemoviereviews.com. We got that S. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, you can also find us on Facebook if you want to chat. I wrote a blog entry for our um, final Kubrick. Yeah. Like Clockwork Orange. And I don't know if uh, we're going to continue that or not. It was fun to write, but, you know, read those blog entries. Comment yeah. on them. You can comment on them. Please. your thoughts. Please do. Kind of view them as a... Uh, Unmoderated. No robots. Yeah. I view them as a supplement, I suppose, because it's not so much about the movie, but it's just about the context of yeah. the review, I guess. So, I don't know. Reach out to us. Anyway, bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks.